Welcome to Dudes on Movies, a podcast where dudes talk about movies. I'm your dude, Scott. I'm your dude, Dave. And today is our listener response show for the September questions of the week. And we're going to read through some of your responses and let you know what we think. We're going to kick it off with five easy pieces. The question was, what movies best depict artistic male arrogance? This was our AP course, right, Dave? Uh Uh-huh. But we got a good response from Finn on Facebook. He said, hard to think of a movie which properly fits this criteria. Only one which comes to mind is The Banshees of Inishirin. Combs' positioning of music as an art in his mind, which makes him feel that he has missed out on his life and it is his, and it is his only chance to leave some sort of legacy, is arrogant in ways. Plus, how he believes others have that same appreciation for music that the threat of him not being able to do it again would stop them bothering him. Huge oversimplification. Great movie, though. Just trying to get an answer in. Love the content. Keep it up. That's a good... uh. I think it's a good observation on that movie. It is a good observation. And thank you, Finn, as always, of course. Uh, we, we really appreciate you, you know, chiming in this way. And, yeah, I, I think I think it counts because, I mean, obviously, like, um, yeah, Colm is being very arrogant in that, in that moment. I mean, he's being arrogant not only for the whole music thing, but also just that he wants to, like, you know, cut loose a yes. friend. You know, that, that's a... And for his art, I mean, or any reason, I mean, it's it's definitely he, he uses the art as an excuse. He does, but it's it's more than that, right? Right. He's he, probably been sick of the guy for a while, but he just never could. In, instead of like sitting him down, talking to him reasonably, he does this thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that donkey just keeps coming in the house, and uh, I mean, why? I yeah. can't. I can't think of Jenny again. I just can't do. <laughs> oh, that, I, you know? I didn't mean to open uh, a, yeah. a wound so <laughs> yes, soon, Jenny. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was awful. Yes. Um. But yeah, it's all his fault for being this idiot, yes, arrogant, artistic male. You know, and arrogant <laughs> artistic males, obviously, uh, we we all traffic in it. But but you know, it, it's good that we asked this question because I'd like to hear what you guys thought about like you know, movies you've seen. I'm sure you've seen this person a million times. Yeah. So, Dave, did you have uh, uh, an answer in mind here? Well, um, in every Woody Allen movie I've ever seen, um, you know, whether he's in it or not, yeah. Um, it features a man who is often insufferable, and the man makes a living as some kind of artist, whether it's yep. an author, filmmaker, playwright, etc. Um, sometimes they learn a lesson about humility, uh, but just as often they remain as obnoxious as ever. And the most egregious examples are Manhattan, Hannah and Her Sisters, Bullets Over Broadway, Husbands and Wives, and Deconstructing Harry. Yeah. Um, Woody's movies are hard to watch now, and I don't encourage it because had I known 20 years ago what kind of monster he was, I wouldn't have consumed so much of what he's done. Um, but for the topic of male <laughs> arrogance, of course, it's hard to go wrong with one of the most arrogant men who ever lived. Yes. Uh, the first thing that came to mind for me was Woody Allen. Yeah. Like, I, I, had, I had that down and I, I took it off. I was like, <laughs> you know what? Right. <laughs> Gonna think of something else. Yes. But yeah, no, you nailed it with Woody, though. Like, totally. He like, just not, not even just the characters. Just I know him. You know there was a uh, a thing I I was an interview that Henry Jaglum did with Orson Welles for Playboy in 1974. Yeah, and Orson Welles talked about how Woody Allen is the most arrogant man <laughs> he's ever seen. And wow, and he was like, wow, I, I, coming I was, from Orson Welles. Orson Welles <laughs> is like powerfully arrogant. Yes. And he thinks that the way Woody behaves with that self-effacing modesty, that that's the height of arrogance. Mm. Like shyness is arrogance. And um, like being uh, like false modesty is arrogance. You know, it's it's all like kind of just attention seeking. And um, like, you know, you're, you're so full of yourself that you can't like 
become uh, you can't be with anybody else. You know. Yeah. And um, I also really like Jesse Eisenberg in The Social Network. and That came to mind, too, yeah. He's just as good in The Squid and the Whale as well. He's just got one of these faces that, that makes it look like he thinks he's better than you. Yeah. Um, no matter what role he plays. And, um, yeah. And, of course, we've all been guilty of arrogance at some point. Our artistic male arrogance in, in many ways. I mean, I know myself. I Anytime anybody, like, I guess, tries to express themselves creatively, it's in some way arrogance. You know, because... Uh, yeah. we're trying to convince everyone how smart we are. Yeah, maybe even podcasters might think, uh, yeah, yeah. not realize it. I mean, I mean, yeah, you get you got two or more white guys <laughs> uh, screaming their opinions about cinema into a microphone. Yeah, um, yeah there's a lot of us, everybody. We're, we're well aware. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> yes. it, it. I don't know why, but thank you guys. Um, <laughs> I came up with my final answer. I picked Whiplash, Dave. Oh. You got Miles Teller. <laughs> And J.K. Simmons, both arrogant, artistic males going head to head, um, and and the, it ends in a way where they still are arrogant and still hate each other. And um, I don't think you like any of them, even at the end of the movie. I didn't. I don't think I've ever seen another movie that ends in an arrogant off. Yeah, right. You know. <laughs> That's the perfect way to put it. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, like, I've never, I mean, J.K. Simmons' character in that movie, I mean, like, from the start, he walks into the room and, you know, like, it's not just that you hate his guts, you want to, like, bash his fa- I mean, oh, yeah. He is the most, the, the biggest jackass you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, Intentionally. Yeah. And he does it even when there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. He's still doing it. Not quite by tempo. Yeah. That that scene, dude. <laughs> and the bloody knuckles and everything. Uh, it's like, oh. Yeah. Arrogant people, man. And his whole thing of like the the that the famous story about John Coltrane and everything and having the having the symbol thrown and everything and, and he's like saying that uh well, uh the next the, the next Coltrane wouldn't have told on me. You know, and I mean, it's just like it's yeah, he, he thinks that he's doing like the world a public service too by by being so uh, monstrous to you that it's just going to, you know, like inspire mm-hmm. you to, to greatness. Dude. Yeah, he sucks. Yeah. We could ramble on about him forever, but let's move on. Yes. Let's go to a fun question, Dave. It was from our Desperado episode. What's your favorite sequence in an action movie? On Instagram, Carrie chimed in and said, The Battle of Helm's Deep from the Lord of the Rings movies. Excellent. Yes, an yes. excellent action sequence, quite extended and right. very good. Yes. I mean, it just, I mean, like an extended war sequence, like you said. Yeah. And it, and it always keeps you, like, interested. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Um, on Facebook, Carly sent us a message. She said, The kidnap scene from The Kingdom that begins with the SUVs getting flipped and ends with the hand to hand combat between Maze and Levitt's captors. Not a dull moment in the whole sequence. No, no doubt. Man. Yeah, she yeah. does a heart emoji. Who doesn't love fa- fantastic car chases? Well, come on. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we're right there with you. Absolutely. I have not seen The Kingdom, though. I can't uh, confirm this, but it sounds awesome. Yes, it's a, it's a really good movie. And, and that particular sequence that she mentioned, yeah, fantastic. Sweet. Uh, Tom chimed in on Facebook. He said, it's a toss-up between three from John Wick, four for me. <laughs> L'Arc de Triomphe, the Dragon's Breath top-down sequence, and the stairs at the end. 
The movie is a masterclass in both stunt work and cinematography, and these three sequences are some of the finest ever put to film. Honorable mentions to the Baptist Church Massacre in Kingsman and the lobby sequence in The Matrix. Dave, when I saw uh, John Wick 4 on and talked about it on the podcast, I definitely said the action is top-notch, and he is not wrong here. What he calls the Dragon's Breath top-down sequence is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah, you, I remember you talking about like how it was it was so impressively like sustained action throughout this whole sequence, yeah. and you know, like that that's how how difficult that is to do to just you know kind of a higher wire act as we talked about. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Matrix, awesome the lobby scene. I was going to put that on my list, but he's, right. he's got it covered for us. Uh, Finn chimed in. He said, "Firstly, shout out to Robert Rodriguez and his Rebel Without a Crew book. It was a great read." The hallway fight scene from Old Boy 2004 is the first that comes to mind. What a movie. The premise, the plot twist, the action, the ending. Wow. Honorable mention in the animated realm, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It had two brilliant action sequences I enjoyed. The fight with Spot at the start and the escape from all the other Spider-Men. I'll put the bus fight scene from Nobody as my third ranked one. It just seems so (laughs) gritty and raw. Even in victory, you get fucked up. (laughs) Very good list, Finn. No doubt. Nice, nice selections. Um, yeah, old boy for sure. Um, and Spider-Man. I don't know if you've seen that, Dave, but yeah, that some of the sequences in that film are just awesome. Which Spider-Man film did he reference? I, I, it's Across the Spider-Verse. Yes, it's I've the seen, newest yes. animated one. Yeah. Yes. I've seen the first Across the Spider-Verse, and uh, I haven't seen the sequel yet. Okay, yeah. Um, but the, the, the first one, it impressed me with the animation, obviously. Yeah. Amazing it did win looking. Best Animated Picture, and... This one lives up to it. Right. Um, it has a yeah, spoiler cliffhanger ending. Yeah. We'll say that because you got to do a trilogy. It's it's um, <laughs> like just impossible now to end a film, yeah. um, you know, to, to tell, tell a self-contained story. Yeah. What was great about Andy Garfield's Spider-Man run, it was only two movies. Actually, that's kind of sad, but <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was only two because like it was like it was less successful yeah. than, than what they anticipated. Yeah, I, know, I mean, right. you know, otherwise it would have been seven movies. It would have been, you know. Um, let's move on. We got an email from Donna. She chimed in. Thanks for hitting us up. She said, "I think that most action sequences in Kill Bill and John Wick, any of them, are my favorites. There are plenty in the last few Mission Impossible flicks as well." Yeah. No doubt. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen all the Mission Impossibles, but uh, I think I, I didn't see the newest one, but the one before that had some awesome stuff for sure. There's more of them than I thought there were. I think there's like seven. There's seven. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Kill Bill. Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with the action in those movies for I know. sure. Yeah. Uh, well, the one fight, she fights like a hundred dudes. The crazy 88. Yeah. The 88. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> That just came gave me an idea. The um, the fighting the axe gang in Drunken Master from the Jackie Chan film, like that that is an excellent action sequence. Wasn't it, on my list, but now it is. It makes you tired when you watch oh, it because you try to picture yourself even like even not even just like doing it for real, but just filming it. I mean, you'd yeah. be dead. Yeah, you know? and Jackie Chan just barely dodging these things, yeah. jump through ladders and all that kind of stuff. I mean, and it's really happening yeah. because it's Jackie Chan. It's so cool. <laughs> um. I guess my other answers here, I picked uh, in Die Hard, the rooftop shootout when he jumps off with the fire hose. Like, <laughs> yeah. that is some heart-pounding, <laughs> insane action right there. Yes. I never forget that. Right. Um, <laughs> and one of my favorite scenes is in The Dark Knight, they're uh, doing the 
they're chasing down the car. I guess they're in Chicago on Lower Wacker or something yeah. underneath the, the city. And they come back up and it ends with the big semi tractor trailer like doing a front flip. <laughs> Dude, it's so cool. I love that sequence. Yep, no doubt. So good. Um, to piggyback off your diehard thing, I, I love right before the I think it's right before the jump when he encounters uh you know, Hans and Alan Rickman is playing a scared American businessman. Bill Clay. Yes. <laughs> and like John McClane knows that he's, that, it, that it's uh, who it is. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, you're pretty tricky with that accent, Hans. <laughs> <laughs> you could yep. be on TV with that accent. And it's just like, it's a great comment on Alan Rickman's <laughs> ability to play an American convincingly. Yep. It's pretty good. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all of Die Hard is is on my list. That's actually. a fantastic Pretty much film. all of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what What do you have on your list, Dave? Um, well, yeah, I, we've talked about before. Like my main criteria for action scenes is that they they can't wear out their welcome. Yeah. Uh, because if I'm checking my watch in a scene that's supposed to be exciting, then then you've lost me. Rambo three. Yes. Um, the last act of Hot Fuzz is a hilarious send up of every action movie. Yes. Um. And at the same time, it's some of the most spectacular action ever put on film. And the great thing is that it, is, it isn't modest. You know, it, it seems to know how good it is. And um, my personal favorite moments are the battle in the grocery store where Nicholas and the other cops uh, have to dodge all the, the cutlery that yeah. the, the two butchers are throwing at mm-hmm. them. Um, and then, of course, when Timothy Dalton and Simon Pegg have their kaiju fight in the, moder- in the model yes, village. Yes, definitely my favorite. Uh, it's... It's great. I mean, like the, there, there's really excellent uh, foley with the with the punches, mm-hmm. and um, even before <laughs> Timothy Dalton's, you know, really painful looking defeat um, with the spire, um, it's still an awesome. Just watching him like smash the the uh, yeah the buildings. It's so wonderful. <laughs> Edgar Wright should do more action. I think he's um, he's better at it than almost any other. Like there, there's very few filmmakers who are like his equal with it. Who who can just do it and. Like that sequence lasts about thirty minutes, and yeah, there's some dialogue in mixed yeah. in there, but it's all it's just it's it's sustained, like we've talked about. I mean, like it, it is an action sequence, and it's it's like a fourth of the film. Yeah, pretty amazing, pretty amazing stuff. It's awesome. Um, and the other one I want to mention is the last half hour of Death Proof. Um, there are few films that sustain this much energy, you know, uh, in a film that that that's this long and still holds your interest, but. Um, you know, this one does. And, and of course, just like almost every other Tarantino movie, he borrows liberally from people who came before him. Um, in this case, uh, like George Miller and in general, like 70s and 80s Australian yeah. cinema. Uh, but it's still pretty spectacular and it meets my criteria because I'm not bored by it. I haven't watched that one. Maybe I should check it out, Dave. Yeah, I think you should. It's it's worth seeing because I think I think every Quentin Tarantino movie is worth seeing. I know you and I differ on him quite a bit, um, but I, I do think he's like... Uh, one of the filmmakers who we have to see every yeah, he does. Yeah, I don't deny his talent yes. at all. Um, I do need to check it out. I think I might have it somewhere around mm. here. It's probably on the it. same disc as Planet Terror. You know, I probably have it. Um, yeah, it's that yeah. same thing. You got the Grindhouse, the disc. Grindhouse collection. Yep. Um, let's move on to Judas and the Black Messiah, Dave. What are the best movies or books about any aspect of the civil rights movement? We had a, a response on Instagram from Good Boys Gone Bland. They said, this movie is a great companion piece to Trial of the Chicago 7, which also features a portrayal of Fred Hampton. Judas left me shook for a long time after watching. Right. Uh, as it as it should. Yes. Um, and Trial of the Chicago 7 is an excellent film, too. Right. Um, 
when did that come out? It was around the same time. It was actually. like 21, I believe. Yeah, 2021, I think. Yeah. So yep. that's awesome. Um, I Dave, obviously, Malcolm X is up there. Yeah. Like from Spike Lee. We did a whole episode on it. One of the all-time great, not just civil rights movies, but movie in general. I know. Wonderful. It's a, a, an epic story of, of a man's life. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. And I, my favorite though, I can probably rewatch more is Mississippi Burning with okay. Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe. I really like that movie. I think it's just so tense and has that southern feel to it. You yeah. know that um, it, it's just so sweaty. You know, <laughs> and hot down there. Right. Um, it's based on like the 1964 activist murders that happened. You know, in real life, unfortunately. Very important story. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I like that one a lot. Um, what do you got, Dave? Um, well, yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I, I read the, the autobiography of Malcolm X, um, and uh, I know I'm always harping about what should be, uh, you know, make up public school curriculum, and uh, of course, this is this is one that, that should definitely be there, because it's got vital lessons that I think could, could shape a better world if kids were exposed to it. Um, and if you read uh, Notes of a Native Son, or really anything written by James Baldwin, you'll also come away with a, a better understanding about these issues. And um, as for movies, uh, there's the excellent documentary about James Baldwin called uh, I Am Not Your Negro. Uh, and we also, as you said, we did oh, an yeah. episode a few years back on uh, Malcolm X um, and Fruitvale Station. Uh, very powerful Oh, yeah. Movie. I, I should have put that on here. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's, We have an episode on that. We, I mean, you, we, we, can't, we can't really uh, ever talk enough about police brutality and, and the... the the world we've made, you know, I mean, the, yeah. w- what it's done to the whole culture. And um, there's also, uh, there, there's other movies about other aspects of the civil rights movement, um, three of which were made by Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman. Uh, they were The Times of Harvey Milk, um, Common Threads, Stories from the Quilt, and Paragraph 175. Um, I think The Times of, Times of Harvey Milk is probably the most famous one. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I want to, highlight common threads because it, it's got an extended sequence where Vito Russo is interviewed and he's talking nice. about his, uh, his partner who, who died and Vito was sick when they filmed it and he makes a, an amazing speech in, in Washington um, when they laid the quilt out because the quilt yeah. was just, you know, like it was, it was a giant quilt that was sewn together with like memories of people who have died, uh, you know, when AIDS first hit America and they were there to essentially, you know, um, to, finally get in people's face and, and, you know, like try to wake up Reagan's America to make them understand, you know, people are dying. Right. And, um, and then paragraph 175 was, um, about, uh, gay people during the Holocaust and what Nazi Germany did with, um, cause they, they, they were also, yeah. um, rounded up and thrown in the concentration camps. The double whammy. Yes. Right there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Yep. So everybody, Check out everything Dave said, especially like he's he's a wealth of knowledge on all kinds of subjects. Oh, but, thank you, sir. But this stuff is the real deal, right? So check it out for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll wrap up here with the last question: the Parent Trap. We asked, "What are the best movies in which an actor plays multiple characters?" And we're going back to a, a more fun topic here, right? <laughs> on Instagram, uh, Ian Yoder said, "Monty Python and the Holy Grail coming to America." The Prestige, need to watch this one again now that I'm thinking about it. Um, okay. Prestige, I haven't seen that in a long time, but... Uh, yeah. Um, Christian Bale plays a brother, right? Yeah. Like, 
but in the movie you don't know that not until the very end end. yes yes i remember that movie being awesome yeah i like nolan a lot so (laughs) um i need to rewatch this I love how in the beginning where they have all the top hats um, like outside the pipe and, and it yeah. says, are you paying attention? Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, yeah, I am. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. Yep. And Monty Python, any of the movies, really, yeah. like anything they did, they're mm-hmm. all over the place. Right. And coming to America, yeah, Eddie Murphy starting his just playing everybody all the time. Yes. Kind of, kind of rolls. Yes, um, that and all assorted clumps. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. Eddie Murphy was doing it like, I mean... He starts out playing two characters, then it's three, then it's five, then it's 15. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just like, he just will, more is more. Might as well be the whole movie. Yeah. And it, it, it'll happen it, it on Sunday. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, on Facebook, Tom chimed in with, hey dudes, great question. I'm totally stuck on this though. I can think of probably five, which are absolutely better to this. will be close. Uh, Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Holy Grail was a close call. Coming to America, simply legendary. Austin Powers 2, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Definitely my favorite of the series. <laughs> Dave and I have talked about yeah. this before. We might be doing some episodes soon. Oh, man. Um, I'll leave Doctor Strange and Split to others <laughs> with honorable mentions to Back to the Future 2 and The Prestige. I could list so many more, too. Now, he, yeah. he said Doctor Strange. Did he mean Doctor Strange? I'm pretty sure he meant Strange. Okay, got it. Okay, cool. That's how I interpret it. Cause yes. I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch played more I, I, characters. Yeah, I, I don't think there's like a second Doctor yeah, Strange. I don't yeah. Know. yeah. <laughs> I don't but I wouldn't put it past Marvel. Um but yeah, Doctor Strange Love, of course, and that's what Alan said next. He said it gotta go with Doctor Strange Love for multiple roles. Yes. I mean, it's probably one of the all time great multiple roles. It is the gold standard, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Sellers just kills it. Right. Three roles. Um and each one is so uniquely different. And just as entertaining. The first time I saw it was like pre-internet and I didn't know that it was, I, I, I didn't know it was him. Yeah. Like I, I was wondering which one of these guys is Peter Sellers? Which one of these <laughs> characters, you know? Yeah. And then I found out later. Yeah, of course it's, it's these three people. It is. Um, yeah. Amazing. Um, and then uh, Back to the Future 2, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're playing different versions of themselves. They are. Which is and, cool. And I mean, Michael J. Fox is great as his daughter. Yeah. As his own daughter. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, it's it's a, a really a bizarre performance, yeah. and, and he really pulls it off. Yeah, when he's kind of looking around and, like, moving his head, it, yes. it's, it's like, whoa, that is Michael J. Fox. Okay. <laughs> right. All right, cool. Um, Dave, I had a couple on here for me. Um, you, you mentioned the social network, Army Hammer, in that movie. Oh, yeah. How can he's I forget that? Pretty Jeez, good, even yeah. though he's been canceled now, I think. <laughs> yes, he has. But in that role, he's pretty good. <laughs> um, he was good. He just... You know, had to get canceled. <laughs> he just went and got canceled. Yeah. You know, what can you do? Um, and Cloud Atlas came to mind with Tom <laughs> Hanks and Holly Berry. Yes. Because they play like 80 roles in that movie or something. And there's one of like him where he, he kind of looks like Mickey Rourke. Yeah. And it's it's really unsettling. They all look really weird half the time in they that do, movie. Yeah. I mean, the Wachowskis really go there. They, they, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they really do. Um, but I think the best one for me is uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in Enemy. He plays two oh. men who look exactly alike. Yeah. And uh, the world kind of just crumbles around them. It, it's a really intense... It's a Denny Villeneuve movie, everybody, so you know what you're getting there. It's right. very mind fuckery. Um, <laughs> and Jake Gyllenhaal plays these two different dudes who... Uh, 
I, I, I don't know what they do in the movie, yeah, honestly. Yeah. They, 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 they try to... The one of them is like obsessed with the other guy because it's his life, or and I don't, I can't strange, even explain it. Strange, it's very film. weird, and there's spiders. Yes, so <laughs> check it out. Right. <laughs> what do you got, Dave? Um, well, so uh, in the text of his play Angels in America, uh, Tony Kushner, he provides this direction that says that like the actors have to have have to play four or five different roles, mm. um, and whenever it's performed. Uh, even today, uh, this is how they always stage it. And when Mike Nichols made the film version for HBO, he retained this rule for the actors. Um, okay. Or for some of them. Most of them, I should say. Uh, Meryl Streep, Emma Thompson, Jeffrey Wright, Ben Shankman, and Justin Kirk all play multiple characters. But Mary Louise Parker, Patrick Wilson, and Al Pacino do not. Oh, um, Okay. I've tried to find an explanation for why they didn't carry out Kushner's direction with all the actors, but my assumption is that maybe Nichols found it sort of self-consciously distracting, you know, um, and because people seeing the film are likely familiar with this rule, and instead of paying attention, they'd be forever, like, trying to spot who's playing who, you know? Yeah. Um, so it could kind of I call attention that. to itself, you yeah. know? It's also it, it wasn't servicing the movie itself, you know? I guess not, yeah. It was yeah. kind of just this, like... Right, it was almost like a gimmick. A rule you had to follow, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm tr- and I'm trying to like picture Al Pacino like playing multiple roles yeah. and like being convincing as you know like something totally different than what you know because <laughs> yeah right I mean it it just doesn't yeah probably not going to happen <laughs> yeah just like hey now I'm this guy exactly you know? yes I mean how can he do this <laughs> yeah you know uh, th- there's one like uh, Meryl Streep plays she's in the opening scene of the movie and you don't know it's her. I mean, she's in a disguise, essentially. Mm-hmm. She's playing um, Rabbi Isidore Hemelwitz from the Bronx Home for Aged Hebrews. And she's playing, and she's Naturally. giving the service yeah. uh, of, of this dead grandmother. And, like, I mean, she's fantastic. I was say, if anyone can do that, it's Meryl Streep. You don't know it's her. <laughs> it, it's not, because, I mean, until the movie was over and they were, like, playing the credits and they were showing, like, whoever who played her, I was like, oh, my God, that was Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. You know, really yeah. amazing. Um, then I also liked, uh, Tom Hardy and legend. Oh yeah. 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 Good movie. Definitely. Um, Paul Dano and there will be blood. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah. Of course. Yep. You were just the afterbirth yep. Eli. Yep. Yeah. Um, Anthony Perkins and psycho. It's not a huge thing, but he does, you know, essay both his mother and, uh, himself. Right. Yeah. He's the mother for a tiny bit. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Jeremy Irons and Dead Ringers, which we did an episode on a long time ago. Yep. I left that for you, Dave. Yes. Yep. Uh, um, and then Nicolas Cage in Adaptation. Uh, I I just rewatched that movie recently. And wow, yeah. it, it really is a trip. So good. Um, and then I have John, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage in Face Off. Okay. So because, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I guess they technically do play different characters. Yeah, they do. They're playing... Each other, yeah. Halfway, both half of them the play movie, Sean Archer know, and so. Castor Troy at any one time. Yeah, um, and you always know who's who, and the rest of the characters don't, Face but they off do. Is a fun train wreck. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> hang around, everybody, for for episodes on Old Boy and Face Off, and probably, I guess, now the Spy Who Shagged Me. Um, yeah, because it's I all guess, coming. I guess you guys loaded us up, right? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but those I mean, are uh, those are all mine. Dudes on Demand is coming in January. Yeah, we that's right. We haven't really announced it yet. Exactly. It's out now. But um, yeah. every January, we've always done Dudes on Demand. So Yeah. Um, if you guys don't suggest those, we're probably still going to do them anyway at yeah, some it, point. Yeah, it's so. still going to happen. Yeah. Right. All right, cool. 
Um, I guess that wraps it up. Thanks for your responses. It was a great time as always. And Dave, why don't you let them know where they can reach us? Yes, you can find us on uh, Facebook, Blue Sky, and Instagram. Just look for Dudes on Movies. And um, our email address is dudesonmovies at gmail.com. That's right. So until next month, when we respond to October's spooky questions, <laughs> I'm your dude, Scott. <laughs> I'm your dude, Dave. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>